Um, anytime uh, I'm come speaking, actually, I'm wearing a watch, which is pretty rare. Uh, it always reminds me of the story that was told so long ago, and this family's having a tremendously difficult time with little kids. During that season of life, when you have little kids, you're trying to get to church on time. Anybody been there? And uh, and it's that time of life when these children are are, are like they're their dad, 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 what about this, and what about this, and this, and how come, hurry, come on, can I get out the door? And by the time dad gets to church, he's questioned out. And it's like, I, I don't, don't, please don't ask me any, any more questions. And as soon as they sit down in church, the little boy goes, dad, dad, <laughs> what? He goes, what's it mean when the preacher puts his watch on the pulpit? <clears throat> Absolutely nothing. That won't be today, though we do have a lot to cover. Um, ladies, what an amazing job this morning. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, like three angels this morning up here. Um, so thank you. Thank you for service. Thank you for always being here, always giving, always serving, and always doing it with a heart that is, uh, that's truly amazing. Um, for those of you who are not, have not um, seen me up here before, um, I'm, I'm here helping with this series because the series is very close to my heart. Um, um, Mark and I have talked about a, a list for a long time, and uh, I'm really ex- excited about what God is doing through these series, what he's teaching us through this uh, series of rhythms. And uh, so my name is Don. I've been kind of been part of Journey for a long time. I help with the worship team and things like that as well. So it's good to be here, and it's a great honor. Now, so the question is, is there anything big going on in the world right now? <laughs> Anybody? Anything going on? Um because it's it, well, I was just watching my watch. It's not working. It's, uh, it seems kind of quiet. I haven't seen in a like last uh, what 53 nanoseconds. I haven't seen a single vitriolic, biased, divisive, myopic content or a content-laden rant on social media or in the news in yeah 53 nanoseconds, which is 53 billionth of a second. So that's maybe we're making progress. Amen. Um, and I wish that was true. That, uh, that our world wasn't in the state that it's in. But the reality is, it is God is about something very big right now. God is doing something very big, very significant. But regardless of what our culture or our media or our ranting neighbor Ed thinks is big and important, I can unequivocally tell you that God is about something big these days. Is um, in fact, it's it's nothing short of revolutionary. It's nothing short of transcendent, and it runs completely upside down and backwards from where our normal culture, our normal world, and the things that we think are important in the big scheme of things are. And it's the same big thing that he has been doing since the cross, since the resurrection, and it's and it's a fierce and relentless determination to create a body of people in the here and now, that are being changed bit by bit, step by step, attitude by attitude, action by action, motive by motive, habit by habit, for from the natural state that we are born in. From the natural state that we are born in, into, that's under the influence of the fallen self, into the image and the character of the person of Jesus. We've heard those kinds of things so much that it doesn't sound so revolutionary, but I can promise you it is, it is because God is about building a body of people that's being steadily transformed through, through whom the world can see and experience his love, his grace, his kindness, his, his 
outpouring of love. A body that stands as points of light and points of grace in a very, very dark world. And whose influence is such that the influence of their lives, not not necessarily just the words they say or the things they stand for or the things they stand against, but the character and the quality of of the people that we are serves as, in the picture that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, is people whose influence fertilizes the soil of the heart and mind and soul of the people around them so that they can receive the planted word. People who corporately are like a city that is set on top of a hill, that in the nighttime as a traveler is winding through these roads, they turn a corner and they're tired and they're worn and they're weary and and they're looking for home and they make the corner and there is the light sitting on the hill and they have hope that home is within reach. Those are the pictures that Jesus used of the body he is creating the body he is calling, the body he is preparing, taking from darkness and transformation into light so that he says we shine like the stars of what? Heaven. So we shine like the stars. That's the big thing that God is about. That's the big thing that he's calling us to, to participate with him in the agenda of the transformation of our lives so that we are that kind of influence in the world. Not just yelling through a megaphone in condemnation and hate and self-righteousness and judgment, but having the heart and the character of Jesus that people can't help but be compelled to just be drawn toward. Because that was the character of Jesus. People couldn't help just being drawn to him. Because of his love, his kindness, he was, he, he was just an amazing presence. That's the big thing that God is about. And it's the dynamics and the means involved in that process of transformation that's been the subject of this current series that we've titled Rhythms, which include those practices what's, and what's historically been referred to as the spiritual disciplines. Uh, we use the term rhythms because um, a lot of times it, what happens is someone, the culture, religious culture, takes a concept that's beautiful, amazing, and and turns it into a law and turns it into a must-do and turns it into a whole bunch of commandments, and then it caught, all, creates all kind of baggage in front of the word, and so we have to throw out words and restate how we talk about things um, because it causes barriers for people. This is just nothing more than the classic, ultra-classic, way back to the early church practices that the body of Jesus have always engaged in throughout all, I mean, pre, some of them have been predating the New Testament, that people who are pursuing God and pursuing transformation wove into their lives. That's why we're calling it rhythms, because it's something that it gets, it becomes something that we do. It's kind of like this, it becomes part of the way that we live our lives. When we get up every day, it's a way that we approach the day. It's a way that we approach our week. It's a way that we approach our weeks. And it's that dynamic and the means involved in that transformation. 
And over and over, the New Testament makes it clear that forgiveness, redemption, salvation, growth in Christ-likeness is purely through, completely through God's grace. Our part, watch this, is to put ourselves in the position to receive that so that we can be grown and changed. Amen? Does that make sense? Um, Richard Foster in his, I mean, iconic book. I mean, you can't really address these subjects in, uh, in the modern era without coming across and running into Richard Foster or Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Both of these have been dear companions to me in my walk with Christ for a very long time. And on page 7, uh, Richard Foster talks specifically about this idea that it's grace that transforms us. It's the power of God that transforms our lives. But that doesn't happen by accident. And there has to be, an, there has to be a, a mechanism within how we engage with that grace. And this is what he says. The Apostle Paul says, He who sows to his own flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life, which is Galatians 6.8. Paul's analogy is, construct, or is instructive. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of the grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and, come, and up comes the grain. This is the way with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of actively sowing to the Spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us to transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. That is what we've been studying. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been pursuing. That's the, that's, the, that's the heart and the desire that we've been trying to engender and to... And to, and to salt our appetites for because it's, the disciplines are about change and growth they're about the way that we engage with god per, god's purpose for our lives and participate with him in that and so far in our series we've looked at a bunch of uh, multiple ones we've looked at guidance we've took, looked at silence and solitude we've looked at suffering and adversity we've looked at um, contemplation meditation and study and last week, uh, Mark did a great job in, in covering prayer. Me, was it last week did we did prayer? I think so. And today, we are going to look at um, a rhythm that is without question one of the longest standing, reliable, and powerful tools for growth and transformation that, is, and that has been practiced by the disciples of Jesus literally throughout church history. In fact, it, it predates even that. And you can't, you, can't even, you can't read the Bible, you can't read the writings of the early church fathers or the works of heroes of the faith throughout, throughout any, any era without running into this discipline. Um, faith, faith heroes such as Augustine and Thomas Kempis and Teresa of Avila and St. Francis of Assisi and Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox and John Wesley and Thomas Merton, if you read them... You cannot help but come across their active participation in teaching and talking about this discipline. It becomes so in indispensable to the body of Christ that um, it's universal. 
Unfortunately for us as Christians in the 21st century, for many, it's also one of the most confusing, misunderstood, and really unfamiliar. And that is the rhythm of fasting. Now, my goal today, as, as someone who has incorporated fasting into the rhythm of each week for a whole bunch of years, it, my goal, my hope, is to kind of clear away some of that fog, to take away some of that, uh, some of that cues, and almost some of that, like, uh, you know, that anathema, oh, I don't know, that's for crazy people, or, or that's, um, that's legalistic, or that's whatever, whatever. To clear away the fog and to introduce you to this very valuable, very helpful, and and quite beautiful tool. And hopefully in that, maybe give you a place to start in incorporating this rhythm into your life. And I totally get on the front end how much of a resistance there is to to this simply because of the culture that we're in. We're in a culture where the idea of, of in many sectors, the idea of uh, putting aside any desire, any urge, anything that I want, anything that's somehow going to damage my psyche, that's got, somehow going to hurt me, that's going to do something wrong to me. But can I submit to you that if we don't, if we don't take control of those things, they will wreck us. If we don't learn how to um, discipline ourselves to to control urges and 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 those um, desires, especially those that spring from the fallen nature, they will they will get us in very deep trouble. Uh, we have a quote here that we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in talking about fasting and introducing the idea of fasting, I want to give you a little bit of background. Because in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, you'll see many different purposes for fasting, um, including demonstrating repentance, uh, displaying grief, enhancing prayer. And entire, entire books have been written on the subject of fasting, so we're not going to go into all of those details. I'm basically saying there's a ton of information out there, a ton of background, a ton of history. In the modern world, um, the term I hear the term intermittent fasting all the time as it comes to been t- uh, talked about with healthy living or, um, or with dieting or things like that. So we're going to take all of that, and we're just going to set this over here and say there's a, as much as you want to learn about it, it's out there to be learned. If there's lots of history, lots of details, and things like that. Because the point isn't to gain an academic or medical understanding of the practice of fasting. Um, it's to learn the appropriate use of its power and practice and therefore reap its benefits as we seek to grow in Christ. That's the only thing I'm talking about this morning and related to fasting is how we use it and why. We're going to be looking at fasting as a tool for spiritual development and transformation. As we approach it this morning, that's where we're coming at. Now, as Mark probably meant, if you if you were here or you went back and listened to the uh, the prior messages, Mark made it clear that the rhythms it, it fall into a, several different categories, and and fasting falls into the category that is often called part being part of the at the disciplines of abstinence, which again is a very like word that makes people go. Oh, oh my goodness! You mean I got to give something up? You mean I can't just do what I want? Um, it falls into the idea of, of, of disciplines of abstinence. Other things in this category are things like silence, solitude, frugality, secrecy, chastity, simplicity, sacrifice. Again, all of these things like ancient disciplines that the body of Christ have engaged in throughout history. 
the most common thread of the disciplines of abstinence is that they seek to disentangle. If you remember the couple of weeks ago when I spoke and talked about the fallen nature and how even after coming to Christ, it, it's, its threads and its influence is still woven through our, 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 our thoughts, our ideas, our body, our habits. And part of our goal, part of, our, part of the thing that God has called us to do is to actively participate in Him to, with, to start disentangling those things, pulling those pieces of influence out. And what the disciplines do is seek to disentangle us from the way of the fallen self that creeps into the flow of everyday thoughts and life and actions and habits and patterns. And to help us, these are the things that they do, um, especially the disciplines of abstinence. They help us more fully focus on God. It, they help us recognize the ways that our lives are out of sync with the truth. We get out of the midst in silence and solitude. We shut off the noise of the world. We get away from the, um, the influence of the world around us. We engage with truth. And it helps us realize that our lives are out of sync. And the third thing it does, it breaks the hold that our bodies and our thought patterns are influenced by repetition and atmosphere of the surrounding culture. We can't help but be influenced by the things around us. And it creates in us habits and patterns and ideas that, that are contrary to where God is taking us. And therefore, we have to find a way to, to break that and step outside of that so that we can recenter and reengage. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? You might recall this image from um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you should have that one, Jeremy. There it is. This is humans in relationship with Christ. We talked about this. The fallen self, when at the point of the cross and resurrection and the entrance of the Holy Spirit into our lives, the fallen self is decoupled from our true selves, but its influence is still woven throughout our being. In our thoughts, emotions, patterns of actions, and ingrained bodily habits, they must be intentionally disentangled. That is what the disciplines, particularly the disciplines of abstinence, help us do. First of all, they help us recognize them because, as we'll see in a moment, we very rarely really understand what's going on in us. But we very rarely slow down long enough to pay attention. And so this is what we're talking about. This process is what the rhythms are designed to do. Now, Dallas Wheeler does a typically brilliant job. You can pull that down. It's good. Dallas Wheeler does a, a particularly brilliant job of expressing why this is necessary for those of us who are seeking transformation in Christ. And related to the, these disciplines of abstinence, this is what he says. In the disciplines of abstinence, we abstain to some degree and for some time from satisfaction of what we generally regard as normal or legitimate desires. Normal desires include our basic drives and motivations for things such as food, sleep, bodily activity, companionship, curiosity, and sex. And I just realized, I guess the kid's already left. So, sorry, Mark. <laughs> Bet you can't think of what word made me think, oh, the kid's in here? <laughs> but our desire for, con watch this, but our desire for convenience, comfort, Material security, 
reputation or fame, and variety are also considered under this heading. Keep in mind that the practice of abstinence does not imply that there's anything essentially wrong with any of these desires as such. But in today's distorted condition of humanity, it is these basic desires that have been allowed to run a rebellious and harmful course, ultimately serving as the primary host of sin in our personalities. This were, those are the places where well, the fallen nature has so intertwined itself with how we think. Have we spent an entire lifetime living in a world that's fallen? And we get influenced by those things. And the only way to, to root those things out is with intentionality and purpose and with focus. And so what the rhythms of abstinence do is help us to both recognize and address where the fallen self still holds sway in our lives. Because that's not readily obvious in the middle of our busy, crazy world when we're running, 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 doing, 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 checklist, you know, to-do list, got to run to this, run to that, schedule's over it. We just, we're on autopilot. And when we're on autopilot, I pr- can promise you that most of the time that means the fallen self is driving the bus. So what the rhythms of do is they help us recognize and address those places where the fallen self still holds sway and we deal with it. We see this admonition everywhere in the New Testament. I didn't take one particular passage and try and shoehorn this into it because what you, what you see when you actually go to the New Testament is you see this everywhere. It's everywhere. A, perfect, it's a couple examples of 1 Timothy 4.16. It says, pay, pay close attention to yourself. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And it goes on and on and on in Galatians 5 and 1 Peter. And, it, and so there's, there's just, I mean, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, same thing. But in terms of we thinking about fasting and, and its role, I really kind of want to further zoom in today uh, for our subject on what time is. I really want to zoom in and, and set aside their, all the different aspects of fasting and focus in on, on one particular thing as a, a pursuit to practice or try to leave with something to practice for the, this coming week. And I want to zero in on this the subject, and I want to point out that there are many kinds, and especially in our modern modern culture, there are many kinds or many ways of fasting in, in the modern context. And all of them actually can be extremely helpful in our pursuit of transformation. Um, one of them that, uh, that I have, that have engaged with and a lot of people have engaged with, particularly in the unbelievable um, caustic culture and toxic culture, that we're in, have been in the last, what, five or six years, is a complete fast from all different types of media. And I, I can tell you that I've had to do that in many cases. I've had to take periods of time where I go, I, I cannot listen to, to this. I can't, I can't. I can't listen to this anymore. I've got to get my, i gotta just, I got to shut all that noise off, and I have to focus on what did it, what's God doing what is God about in me and the body and the gra- and everything? What is he doing and what is he about? Because that's regardless of what's going on over here, this never changes. He's still and he's still in the, his goal is transformation. His goal is still building a body to impact the world. It still is to turn us into the image of Christ through all the things that we deal with. We got it. This this exists. 
that's not where I'm going to put my time. i got to shut that off sometimes. So there is some, some places of, of fasting that doesn't include um, what, we're, what our subject is this morning. But the amount of um, media, particularly social media, um, the amount of influence that it has to take us far afield from God's agenda for our lives is incalculable. And often the only way that I can grasp the deep influence is to cut it off. When I, when I cut that off, and uh, I recognize my perspective changes. And I, perspect, and, I, and I have a little bit clearer vision. And I'm not as angry or frustrated or bewildered. Other things that you can fast from or absence from, things like alcohol or a hobby or social engagements for a period of time, can also help with breaking ingrained patterns. That's a whole other set of subjects. Again, we're going to slide over here. Because what we're going to talk about this morning informs all of this. Does that make sense? We're tracking? Today, we're going to focus specifically on the historical meaning of fasting, which is abstinence from food and often from drink other than water for a period of time, which seems like this is something that's a little bit more exotic and seems like more, more pertinent to the world that we live in. But I can promise you this, food drives us. If you don't think so, just think about how often you hear about being hangry, right? There's commercials for it. There's commercials for it. So that's what we're going to focus on. And there's two reasons why we're really going to focus on that. First of all, food is so basic to life. And secondly, too, because it is a shared, common, applicable experience. The, The everyone eats. Everyone has to eat. And it's, it's fundamental to who we are as living creatures. But the question is, the question stands, okay, why fasting? What does it accomplish? What is, what is it, I hear you telling me it helps me entangle all these things and do these things on what, so, so why, why do we do, why has fasting been so powerful? Why, why has it been so popular? Why has it been used for so long? And what does it accomplish? And rather than treat that from an academic standpoint, because I could go into all the different areas of Scripture that talk about fasting, and I could talk about this one did this, and this person fasted this way, and Daniel only ate vegetables for a certain period of time. Great. You can go read all that yourself. What I want to share with you this morning is really comes from an experiential standpoint. It comes from nearly three decades of spending a day a week practicing this discipline. And what I have found as someone who is just pursuing, I'm, try, I'm just trying to participate in what God's doing, wanting to do in me. It's stumbling, it's much failure, and, and missing the mark as, as I do. Um, I have found some things that really do matter. They really do move me forward. They, they really do enable me to see a difference and a change and a growth. And also, just to, sometimes just to stay centered. In the middle of our world that's just everything's coming at us. Sometimes it's, it's all we can do just to what? Just to stand. Just just to hold tight. Just to hold on to the, my view that, that the kingdom really is worth it. To hang on to the reality that I really am called to not serve myself. I really am called to die to this fallenness within me and not fulfill my desires at every whim, but to actually die to self so that I can be transformed to the image of Christ for the benefit of other people. 
in our in our uh, ministry and uh, and the venture stuff we do, we call it being Jesus with skin on. Just sometimes, though, in the midst of all this world and all of its adversity, sometimes I just I just got to stand because that's all I can do. This also helps with that process. And so in this, and the rest of the time we have, I'm going to just talk about the experience and how, what I have discovered in practicing this discipline in connection with silence and solitude and study and meditation, all those other ones we've talked about, what it does and how it affects me and what, and what I ultimately gain from it um, on, a, on a lot of different levels. Um, so for... Again, since or not, I can tell you actually, August 6, 1991, that's when I got this book. It was handed to me by a colleague and dear friend. We actually found out about it from a a sermon on tape. Anybody remember sermons on tape? A sermon on tape by a gentleman named uh, Bill Hybels. Did a, did a basically a sermon talking about spiritual disciplines. Never heard it ever before in my life. It was it stands as probably one of two or three single most transformational, impactful messages I've ever heard because it introduced me to this book, which introduced me to the practices of the spiritual disciplines that changed everything about how I view life and how I approach transformation in Jesus. And... So since 91, probably within that first year, I started setting aside a day, Mondays, as a day that a day for fasting. Now, I, I always hesitate to tell people that because, it, because uh, it's, it's not anything that I want anybody to know about. It's not even anything I advertise. And the only time I even talk about it is when people say, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, no, it's Monday. Well, what's Monday have to do with anything? Well, I use fast on Monday. I'm like, they're like, okay. What? And then it turns into a whole story. But I don't want to wave a flag about it. But I've set Mondays Mondays apart, and it's, and it's a rhythm for me. It's not a, it's not a ritual. I'm not legalistic, legalistic about it. I'm really not even all that strict about it. I simply forgo breakfast and lunch on Mondays. And I don't eat anything until about 5 in the afternoon. However, I typically still have my morning coffee. Um, and I might have juice or Gatorade during the day if I'm doing something physically and need to keep energy up. But there's there are times, so I'm not I'm not militant about it. So I don't like I can't have anything but water. Well, you know what? If sometimes I do that, if I want to amp up, if I want to amp up my focus, if I want to if I want to kind of raise the level for that day for whatever reason, like I'm really struggling, I need to focus on on God today. I will make I will make it so that I'll just, I'll add that piece in. I'm not drinking any but water. That's again, it's not legalistic. It's just there's there's times that I just add that piece in. But the but what the point being, and this is what I want you to see and understand, it is a fixed point. It is a fixed point of reference in my every single week that I have just. Like, Put down and committed to. Mondays, that is just my fasting. My family knows that. It's just that is that's that's a rhythm that is built into my life. And the impact, the impact on my growth and transformation as a disciple 
the value of that time and that experience every single Monday would be impossible to calculate. And the way, even through, and I can tell you folks, through some very, very dark times, when, when there's a whole lot of other things not going right, when there are other places and circumstances and situations in life that were either in my control or out of my control, but it was a place that felt very, very scary and out of control and, uh, and, and just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this anxiety. I don't know what to do with these crazy people in my world that I can't control who are having this massive negative influence on my life and business and family and all those kinds of things. Mondays stood as an anchor. I always had it to look forward to. And over time, um, as bizarre as it seems to the American mindset, Mondays have become, for me, a day I look forward to every week. But why? What did it, what did it accomplish? What does it accomplish for me? This has been, this has been my experience. And, and, and you'll, what you'll find is that you'll hear these things talked about, but I didn't write them down because they were written in a book. I, I wrote them down, putting those down as the, our points, because this is what I've experienced. This is what has meant for me. This is what it's done for me. This is how it's helped me participate in God's purpose for changing me as long as I still have to go more, little bit by little bit, more and more, into the character of Christ and how I love and how I, how I, I care about people and how I try not to live from the fallenness that is always so pervasive. And the very first thing is this. As I've alluded to, Creating that space and that time of fasting, it became a weekly centering point for me. It became a place, and when it came around, because it comes around every week, and when it comes around and Monday comes, that is a reminder. I'm, I'm a child of God. God has a calling on my life. He has an agenda and a plan and a job for my life. And today, it's a reminder that, okay, where am I? Where am I? What am I doing? Where's my head? Where's my agenda? Where's my perspective? Where are my values? Where's my attitude? Where are my practices? What's going on in me? Because I don't know about you, but life is crazy and distracting in in my world. Anybody, anybody, anybody have a world that just it just floats along, it just goes there, just like no, it's it's just like a calm sea. I don't know if you ever, how many of you ever surfed before? That feels a little bit more like how my life usually goes. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded who I am and, 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 and what I'm called to. And on Mondays, I use the sensation of hunger to remind me. Because it's just a natural process. And my body goes, oh, hey, 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 I want something to eat. And I go, oh, that's right, I'm a child of God who is choosing today to focus my day on him. Those, sense, those, those sensations, those sensations t- prompt me to pray. And some, another active piece that is often engaged in this is that long time ago I memorized Psalm 23. And very often 
when those times when I have those things like the the, the uh, desire comes, oh, oh, the hunger comes, I'm, I want to eat, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Right? Sometimes in the process of a day, it'll be a dozen times that I'll go through Psalm 23 in my head, not as a oh, barren it out. It's just all of a sudden, if you if you read the, the end of Jesus fasting and the enemy comes to him, he says, make these stones bread. He goes, don't you know that we, we, we're sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of God? When you take the scripture in and you feast on it, and there any time of fasting when natural food isn't there, it really does nourish the soul. It's not just words. It's not just there is something. There's the grace. Remember, putting ourselves in a position to be able to receive the grace of transformation. That's what happens. I don't have to work for it. I just, through my day, when it comes up, I go, oh, where's my shepherd? I shall not want to make me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You're with me. Because you're with me. Because you're with me. Sometimes dozens of times a day, that repetition drives the truth of that psalm into my heart, and it has an effect. It has an effect. And that process recenters me and revives my pursuit of transformation. The second thing that this weekly rhythm does for me is, is it alerts me to the movements of my fallen self. It alerts me to its appetites, my body and its appetites. And it alerts me um, to certain attitudes and emotions that bubble up from within so that I can deal with them. One of the things that people become starkly aware of when they first try fasting is the way that emotions like anger and bitterness bubble up unbidden without without any kind of warning. The whole hangry commercial is a perfect example. That's making things like because you didn't have time, you're too busy to but the but the dynamic is the same. And again, Richard Foster does a masterful job of expressing this dynamic. In this same book, he says, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We cover up what's inside with food and other good things. But in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if it's within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. And what I have discovered is the truth is we really don't know ourselves or recognize how the fallen self is driving the bus of our lives very often. The patterns are there. We've lived in the patterns for so long. They're so ingrained. They're so normal to us that it takes these kinds of active participatory um, places and times and disciplines to, 
to pull that stuff apart and to even be aware of it. We don't really know ourselves that well. And one important point to, to keep firmly in mind as we think about all of these disciplines is if God is going, and he is, his purpose and his agenda is to transform us into the image of Christ. Mark this. If that's the case, he will always come to us at the place of our unchristlikeness. And the only way to change and to grow is to become aware of what? Those places. Precisely at the point of our unchristlikeness. When that attitude flares, that action flares, or you say that thing that is that is out of sorts, that is when the Holy Spirit goes, hey, you. But if we're closed off, if we're unaware, if we're, not, if we're not intentionally paying attention, being focused and engaged in things that help us recognize it, we'll blast right through the work of the Holy Spirit trying to go, hey, hey, hey. And rarely do these things become more apparent than when our minds than during fasting. The final thing, we've got to wrap it up, um, is it trains me to say no uh, to other important areas of, and other important areas of my life, I've discovered that I, when I learned to say no to something as basic as my body's spoiled cries for hunger satisfaction, it's taught me how to say no in other ways. In the spirit of the disciplines, uh, Dallas Willow said, "Fasting teaches temperance and self-control, and therefore teaches moderation and restraint with regard to all of our fundamental drives." Since food has the pervasive place it does in our lives, the effect of fasting will be diffused throughout our personality. And through fasting, it's very easy to see how we can actively obey the admonition in 1 Timothy 4.7, which is train yourself to be godly. In a culture where it's considered damaging or profane to set aside any um, any desire or urge, um, fasting isn't really popular but I found it to be incredibly valuable in my own life. And over my life of walking with Jesus and seeking transformation, the rhythms of silence, solitude, meditation, contemplation, study, journaling, and fasting have proven absolutely indispensable. This process, absolutely indispensable. So much so that I don't know how I, don't know how I would go forward without them. I don't, know how I, would, I don't know how I would approach these admonitions of God for transformation without them. So... Wrapping this up because we have to, I got to finish up. Um, I do understand, and it's really important to say, I do understand there there could be some psychological or physical reasons why um, a person can't physically fast from food. There, there's a lot of things that, and that is something that if that's you or if you feel like that's you, check with the proper professionals, medical professionals, um, it, before engaging in fasting. But for most of us, the door is wide open to experience this powerful tool. And for all who can, for all who don't have any of those restrictions, I want to encourage you, try it. Pick a time. Pick a week, pick a day, pick a day, a day of the week, pick a time, look forward to it, and say, okay, on this day, and then you set up your parameters. Whatever it is that you feel like where you need to start, you're going to start with the skipping breakfast and lunch, great. You're going to do the whole day, great. You're going to do whatever. But pick a place and start. Start simply, and then build the practice into your life as an ongoing rhythm. And obviously, if you have any questions at all, I'm I'm available. Mark's available. We, I mean, you can you can uh, get a hold of us on the um, the Facebook page or or anything. 
um, if it, the, the Facebook group is on there, try it. See, see what you experience. See if your experience is the same as mine. See if these things come up and see if things are revealed that might not have been revealed before. And then act, ask God how we can move together and grow together with that awareness. So try it. And uh, I'd love to hear about your experience. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the tools that you've laid out for us. You, uh, you've given us the opportunity to walk with you and to engage with your spirit and to participate with you in, and really the requirement to participate if transformation is going to happen. And yet you haven't left us uh, to fend for ourselves. You haven't left us uh, without the resources. First Peter says you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I pray that as uh, we've talked about the discipline um, this morning, particularly of fasting, that we might take the opportunity to, to utilize it and to participate with you in that process of transformation. May it be a huge blessing to your people. May it be a huge blessing to the, the body as a whole and to the world as we are changed more and more into the character of Christ and our love shows and our kindness shows and our grace shows and our and our sacrifice shows, and our forgiveness shows, and our love shows that people would be drawn to the kingdom. They would be drawn to find the treasure hidden in the field and that pearl of great price. Lord bless you. Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Lord bless you all. Have a good one.